Welcome back, R&D3 listeners. It's your host, Jenna Jordan, and I am so excited to have our research scientist, Jeet Roy, back with us on today's episode. He was on our last episode talking about dermatology disorders in the clinical trial space, and if you haven't listened to the Derm app, I highly suggest you do so since it's a very informative listen. I learned so much in it, and I'm sure you will too. So now he's back again to talk about gastrointestinal disorders, aka GI, in the clinical trial space. G is going to take a deeper dive of GI in the clinical trial space, the different digital tools used for this TA in clinical trials, and a whole lot more. So welcome back, G. How's it going today? Hey, Jenna. It's going great and really happy to be back for another chat. Oh my goodness. I am so excited to have you back. So why don't we just jump right in here? So can you give us a high-level overview of the GI clinical trial space? Yeah, definitely. That's a great place to start. So, you know, there are many people affected by GI conditions that can really substantially reduce the overall quality of life. So, you know, indications like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis can result in chronic discomfort and can really fundamentally impact even the most day-to-day activities for these patients. Um, And, you know, a lot of the symptoms are really discomforting, you know, things like abdominal pain, diarrhea, constipation, nausea, vomiting, bloating, and even bleeding and and certain indications. So you can imagine how these chronic issues um, would really impact quality of life and also work productivity and socialization. Absolutely. Those all sound very intense for patients and caregivers. Clearly, there's a huge need to develop more options for GI patients, but I'm guessing that's easier said than done, I'm assuming, in terms of new trials? Yeah, exactly. There's definitely some, um, you know, major challenges GI trials run into. So For one thing, um, you know, from a patient recruitment perspective, that can obviously be tough for most trials, but GI patients face additional hurdles because of the prevalence of things like comorbidities, uh, difficulty of diagnosis for many indications, and also just the general kind of diverse nature of a lot of these GI disorders. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Obviously, given all those complex considerations, I can imagine it would be difficult to design such a study. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so things like endpoint selection and trial design have to be really specific to the particular GI indication being studied. Um, But, you know, identifying appropriate endpoints can be really difficult in this space. And there are sort of objective and somewhat established measures that exist, like histological, you know, endoscopic responses, clinical symptoms, and certain quality of life outcomes. But in general, their reliability and relevance across, you know, different GI disorders is still debated. Oh, God, that sounds actually super interesting. So it sounds like there's a lot of endpoints or it sounds like a lot of endpoints are actually being refined based on new research in the GI field. Wait, so you mentioned trial design, too. So how does that vary? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, in terms of trial design, um, the challenge really lies in finding a nice balance between sample size, statistical power you need to make the conclusions you want. Um, you know, things like inclusion and exclusion criteria uh, and other outcome measures and other factors, too, like thinking about the overall burden the study places on sites and patients for their participation. Right. So like not to mention these patients are all experiencing their systems uh, symptoms in different ways and at different times. So data capture might definitely be tough. So right. what about regulatory hurdles? Like are these GI trials inherently more difficult to set up? 
Yeah, they definitely can be. Um, but generally by ensuring that the study is set up to maximize data integrity and address ethical considerations, you can usually kind of overcome those potential regulatory hurdles. And additionally, GI trials sometimes require invasive or uncomfortable procedures. So things like patient consent, uh, ensuring that they're, you know, aware of their rights and privacy regulations, data protection, things like that. These should always be addressed really clearly. So for any GI trial, we want to ensure that the potential risks and benefits are really communicated um, in a clear and understandable manner, because that's a vital aspect of the you know, clinical trial process. Absolutely. So it sounds like building and establishing trust is going to be the key to patient retention for GI. Am I wrong? No, you got it. Um, in fact, speaking of that, there's a lot of other behavioral science strategies that we can use to sort of help address many of the things that we've noted that are challenging in the GI trial space. Yeah, that's really great to hear because I know uh, we at DataCubed, we have leveraged these strategies for GI trials in the past. So what are actually some of the key behavioral strategies to keep in mind? Yeah, uh, great. Uh, So you talked about building trust, which is definitely a critical piece of the puzzle. And one way to build trust is to really focus on patient engagement for a study, setting up clear expectations and maintaining clear communication. Um, There's also techniques like motivational interviewing and social support interventions, which might be able to help drive patient engagement and compliance. And specifically, these types of techniques can really help address barriers to participation in the study. So things like fear of adverse events or skepticism about benefits or, you know, any sort of preconceptions like that. Seems very cool. So it's essential to make study participants feel like true study collaborators, just as we discuss for dermatology, right? Exactly. Yeah. This is really a consistent theme across all clinical trials because, you know, the long-term impact of building trust and setting expectations cannot be underestimated. And beyond that, you know, incorporating behavioral science principles in a study can actually help improve the data quality too. Right. So if a patient is more engaged with a study, obviously, they'll be more motivated to see things through and report things more carefully. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, behavioral science techniques like Cognitive interviewing and usability testing can really improve the quality and the accuracy of patient-recorded outcomes, you know, pros. So when you test the clarity and comprehensiveness of these pros with patients, um, researchers can really ensure that the data collected reflects their true experiences and their perspectives accurately. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, of course. And that probably reduces the barriers to enter the trial in terms of prospective patient education and outreach. Yep, exactly. Um, And beyond that, we have like a host of other digital technologies available, which can nicely address a lot of the other challenges we've discussed. So even just thinking about recruitment, of course, social media, patient registries and online communities can really help reach a broader pool of potential participants and even accelerate GI trial enrollment. Yeah, as you were just talking about that, I literally was just like shaking my head. I was like, yes, yes, yes. Love that. (laughs) And yeah, so you can probably find uh, patients for rare disease studies more easily with that approach, I'm assuming. Yeah, exactly. That's the idea. I mean, we want to be more specific in how we communicate with GI patients and how we set up these trials. So if we get back to endpoint selection, you know, digital tools like imaging technologies, artificial intelligence and machine learning, they can even help us identify objective and reliable endpoints at a very specific sort of subject specific level. I always, it's always nice to hear how AI and big data might be able to improve clinical trials. So what about data collection and integrity? Yeah, I mean, going the digital route, once again, kind of gives us an advantage in the GI space. So tools like uh, electronic case report forms, 
wearable devices and ePros and eDiaries can really facilitate complex data collection and help minimize any errors in data entry. Yeah, that sounds wicked cool. So I know that DataCube has also integrated real-world evidence. Oh my gosh, I always trip up on that word. Real-world evidence into some of their studies. So do you mind explaining how that works? Yeah, that's a great call out. Um, You know, wearable devices like smartwatches and fitness trackers, they provide real-time information on patients' physical activity, potentially their heart rate, sleep patterns, things like that. These can be really valuable in evaluating sort of the overall treatment efficacy in a specific GI trial and just the side effects, et cetera, kind of the quality of life, passive data. So providing activity, you know, feedback to patients can also help them engaged and motivated. So we can really use kind of the information they're giving us and also provide feedback to boost compliance and retention. Yeah, that's really great to hear. So really, there are more options than ever before to integrate behavioral science and digital technology into GI trials. So that being said, these tools aren't always available to everyone in every region around the world, I'm assuming. So how do we ensure that underdeveloped regions aren't left behind? Yeah, you bring up a really uh, important point, especially since, you know, individuals in underdeveloped regions might suffer from uh, increased prevalence of GI disorders due to things like malnutrition, heavy air pollution, water contamination, things like that, lack of infrastructure. So it really becomes even more critical for sponsors to really consider the full global need and impact of any potential new um, GI therapy, right? So that being said, we can still leverage many of the technologies we discussed earlier, as long as we account for things like infrastructure gaps and connectivity issues and things like that. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So even if the technology isn't perfect, we can adapt our tools to meet the needs of different regions and populations. Is that what you're saying? I want to make sure that I'm getting this right. Yeah, for sure. So for example, you know, um, a sponsor could provision smartphones for a remote village and establish a network hotspot somewhere in that village for the duration of a study or even beyond that. And so even if the smartphone isn't always online, participants could complete any relevant ePros at the device offline, on the device offline, and then the data could sync up during study visits at the network hotspot. Yeah, that makes total sense. And that small amount of extra investment into that community would definitely open up a lot of other uh, opportunities and improve overall access to healthcare. Yeah, exactly. And that's the idea, right? So more than anything, this sort of approach kind of establishes a collaborative relationship between the sponsor and the target community. And you build in that trust by showing accountability and awareness of the community's needs and limited resources. So really, like we talked about in dermatology, we want to make it as easy as possible for anyone to participate in the trial. So you can imagine how other tools like telehealth and remote monitoring would also be huge for GI trials in underserved communities. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that that sounds amazing. It definitely gives me more hope for the future, obviously. So Gee, honestly, I I think we've covered more than enough today. So thank you again um, for sharing your thoughts and perspectives on GI trials today. It's been a really great conversation. Yeah, I had a great time. And thanks for having me as always, Jenna. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And to all of our R&D3 listeners, uh, feel free to listen to all of our other episodes. They're all on all of the major podcast platforms. So Apple Music, Spotify, all those other good things. So for now, have a great rest of your day. And G, thanks again. And I'll talk to everyone soon.